What is going on, Internet? Welcome to the Mad Max Fury Road podcast. Uh, that's right. We're the only Mad Max Fury Road podcast available. Yeah, I haven't heard a single other No, podcast. not at all. My name is Matthew Kroll. Uh, with me is... Shahir Dowd. And we are going to spend the next hour basically breaking down the film. And I feel like it's necessary, Shahir, because... Uh, we are, in fact, the only Mad Max podcast available. Hey, are we the only two people that saw Mad Max this week? Like- I mean, sadly, <laughs> I mean, when you come up against Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah, we're the only two guys that saw We Mad- are the no. only guys. Yeah. But who, out of these two guys in this room talking to you, coming through your, your ears, going into your brains right now, who the hell are these two guys, you might be asking? You you could ask that question. Shahir, who the hell are you? I'm a guy. I, you might have noticed I have a funny accent. I'm from New Zealand originally. Well, actually, I'm from Fiji originally, then New Zealand. Now I live in the United States. Show off. Uh, yes, I'm for, and my accent is all over the place. You're right, right. Uh, I'm a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a director, editor. I, I work in commercials, TV, music videos. A jack of all trades, if you will. Jack of all trades. Writer, director, uh, and will be making a feature film one day in the future. One day. One day. Uh, ask me who I am. Matthew Crawl. Tell me about yourself. Well, I was born in Massachusetts, <laughs> moved to New too Hampshire. Far, too far, too far. Uh, no, I am uh, also a media professional in New York City. Uh, I uh, was an editor originally, and I may have made a couple shorts. I am now producing, uh, and I'm currently working on a couple series. So, yeah, we have enough sort of production shops. Not a lot, but enough, I but would say. More to- importantly, we love move. We love to, like... We could spend hours, right. which you're gonna hear. I just wanted to give them out there a little bit of like who the who the hell are these people? That you just want to kind of know who's talking. Yeah, we're, yeah like, like Shear said, we're movie buffs. We go and see almost everything, and we kind of bitch and do sort of this conversation that you're going to hear uh, normally at a bar or somewhere else where we argue incessantly about sort of the thing. Now, the 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 weird thing about this conversation, Shahir, that we're gonna have right now is we agree. This is the only time this has ever happened. On this movie. Um, <laughs> and so much, in fact, that we decided to do uh, a podcast for it because there are none out there. So, uh, yeah, talk to me. Talk to me, Sherry. You, How do you feel about the film? Well, okay. Listen, you and I often have differing opinions about action movies. We just movies. set that up, yes. Uh, you know, we, we, we often have really differing opinions about action movies. And the reason we do is that we 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 tend to think that action movies serve different functions wildly, right? Like, I think action movies right. should be a... F- like, a movie shouldn't just be an action movie. It should be a great story told through action. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I, in, in, please correct me if I'm wrong, you think, in some ways, that action can be a thing unto itself. Like, fun, you know, movies can be fun rides that don't need any greater importance, right? Uh, yes, yeah. I do agree with that. I think... And I also think that in those fun rides that might be meaningless to some people, that depending on who you are and what your life is, you can find meaning in that meaningless garbage. Even if the meaning wasn't supposed to be there, it still can be meaningful to you because it is, even though it's dumb, an art form. So that's sort of where I sort of go. That. And I do, I see what you're saying about it. Like, you, you prefer the people making a piece of work, be it an action movie or anything to have a clear voice of what they're trying to say and get that across. Well, yeah. And, and in the case of action films to have great stories told through action, right. You know, so, so the, well, then we're starting off on a good, yeah, foot. this is, this is the perfect movie for that. And, and the movie, like, look for me, that movie, and it'll be different for everyone else, but the movie that holds the high watermark for me in that respect is Terminator two. Right. You know, that's a great story that unfolds at an unrelenting pace through great action. Like, the action doesn't ever feel just like, hey, let's stop the film and we have an action scene right, right now. The, the action is propelling the story forward. Yeah. And, look. And we're not going to experience that again until Terminator Genesis coming out oh, uh, soon. my Right? God. Anybody? Those, those trailers. Crickets? Those trailers. Anyway. Anyway, so I, I guess I wanted to set that up because I think... You know, like my initial response to to Mad Max, you know, like Mad Max is an action movie through and through, right. without a doubt. And it, that's its pedigree. That's its pedigree. But I, I haven't seen in a long time a film like this, maybe maybe other than a martial art film, where the action, like the whole film is one long action sequence. It's one long chase right. sequence. And its story, which admittedly is a little thin, 
is told entirely through action. Like this, you know, you and I have probably spoken more words of dialogue in this in this discussion so far than there is in the entire film. Of course. Yeah. But what what it does really well and what I what I like in my action movies especially especially ones that are sort of built this way. I really appreciate the fact that while the story itself is light, the dialogue is light and you sort of don't really have a big sort of driving like, you know, there's not a crazy story going on. Uh the world is set up so well. Yeah that you don't really need it because it's so intricate, so well thought out beyond the scope of the movie's story. Like, they built this post-apocalyptic world. Like, it, that's a place that exists in my head. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, maybe we should preface that with, with obviously, we're a little fuzzy on the history of Mad Max. It's been, what, 20 years? Yeah. 30, 25 so, years since the last Mad Max film? I think I saw Beyond Thunderdome when I was, like, 14. Yeah. And I haven't seen one since. No, I, I mean, I remember, I remember the song. I remember Tina Turner. I remember, you know, I grew up in Australia and New Zealand, so I remember, you know, Mad Max was was a big deal, but I don't really, those movies didn't impact me the way Terminator did. It's funny, yeah, well, my friend uh, Tom Hamm, who lives in Massachusetts, is probably the biggest Mad Max fan that I know, and it's, whenever I'm hanging out with them, and Tom, if you ever listen to this, this is an embarrassing thing, but whenever you talk about Mad Max, I just, because you're so excited about it, and I know how much you care about it, I don't know what you're talking about, but I just agree, and I'm like, oh man, that's awesome, because (laughs) I know that I should know it, and I don't, so I apologize, Tom, but that's my main tie, is my buddy. You know, look, and I think that's a really interesting thing which is that neither of us are big Mad Max no. aficionados no. you know like I'm a, I'm a much bigger Terminator aficionado yeah. but like I'm Same. not excited to see this Terminator movie I'm a little and, excited and but now, more as a more as a will they won't they sort of yeah I guess so but like but now you know having just walked out of Mad Max Fury Road for the second time right we saw I, it twice we both saw it twice together just okay yeah you know okay. a, little, a little thing but I am much more excited about a Mad Max the Wasteland sequel, which was just announced. Yeah. In the, in the, I'm, you know, that to me seems way more exciting than any Terminator or any franchise that I grew up. Right. You know, like, and that's the amazing thing about this film is it seems to like not just breathe life into, into, into a franchise that is like long since passed in the history books. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, into, not just, you know, like it's reinvented the whole action franchise genre. Uh, let's 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 put it this way. I don't think it's reinvented. I think it's basically brought it back and sort of brought a, a, a breath of fresh air into it. Now, yeah. let's. Yeah. I don't want to harp on this, but obviously, we're going to talk about the other big film that came yeah, out, exactly. Avengers: Age of Ultron, and we're going to think about the fact that that this this does something for Mad Max that I don't think Avengers has been able to do for the Marvel world. Uh, oh yeah, of course. Well, but even beyond, well, it's not, well, Avengers was never dead, so it never needed to be brought back from the dead. What I'm saying is there are two drastically different action movies. Basically one is super clean and, and builds a good world, but in a different way in a Joss Whedon way, which I love. Mm -hmm. And then there's this one, which is just feels visceral, raw and real. Like I would never say that Age of Ultron felt real to me. No, not in the. Not in the uh, but that's not a bad thing for me. I know that that, that sometimes bothers you. Yeah. Uh, but like this movie felt uh, Mad Max uh, Fury Road felt real to me, and it's just a different way of world building, and it's a different way of storytelling. I think there's room for both, and I think I'm I'm glad that I, so far summer has just started, and I've gotten to see these two pinnacles of these two styles that I really like. Um, but I do. This movie has breathed fresh air into the sort of grimy high action movie. Like, and not grimy. Grimy is the wrong word. Uh, but again, you go back to the Terminator 2 reference. I don't know what that sort of. Not, it's not well, gritty. Well, here's the thing. Is it's not I, dark. It's not dark, rebooty grit nonsense. See, the thing, the thing about those kinds of movies is that they're not. They don't feel like part of a genre exercise. They don't feel, you know, they feel like films, uh, you know, they're films that are making their own rules and they live in their own world. And it's like, you know, we're not interested in creating like a big franchise. We're not interested. But they kind of end up doing it. They, they like end up doing it. The Terminators, su- the aliens. Yeah. Um, what else is they're, there? Their success. Escape from New York. Yeah. Escape uh, from New York. And LA, which I still like, but that's a different. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was like an Escape from New York, you know, sequel that came out now that was able to do what Mad Max did? Oh, it would be my favorite movie ever. Ever, probably. Um, yeah. I, I forget who was in talks to be. The new Snake Plissken. Do you remember? Was it Tom Hardy? No, it was. Um, well, I don't remember this. 
Again, uh, Escape from New York's not a huge franchise. Right. In All my... I remember is when Kurt Russell was asked about it, like, what do you think of doing this? He's like, fuck you, I am Snake Plissken. <laughs> that was his response. <laughs> well, uh, this is an interesting thing, because, you know, like, so so obviously Mad Max, you know, like, the 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 fact that this film exists right. at all seems kind of amazing, given that it's a franchise that's long since passed. Whose lead star has, kind of went off the deep end. Yeah, that has gone off the deep end. That Spoiler the, alert, <laughs> uh, Mel Gibson is not Mad Max in this film. <laughs> and the director is 70 years old. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> what uh, What's his name again? George Miller. George Miller. Holy, Holy shit. Can we talk about for a second how this 70-year-old man put every other action director just on, on blast? Pretty like, much to shame. How... How and and like there's I mean other than the other Mad Max films there's not a lot in his body of work that says I'm gonna deliver the action you know right. on on the level with James Cameron mm-hmm. and and Peter well Peter Jackson maybe but you know like a on, different style but yeah. yeah you know on the level of like the biggest action filmmakers of all time like he you know this is a guy who directed his last two films were Happy Feet and Happy Feet Two. Let's not forget a little bit before that Babe Babe, 2, Pig in the City. Babe, Pig in the City. But then also, like, Lorenzo's Oil, The Witches of Eastwick. You know, like, these aren't, you know, those are, like, you know, like, very straight dramas. Man has range. He's got range. And he, like, he puts it, the great thing about this film is all that range is on display. Yeah. You know, like, you know, dramatically, this film is there. You know, like, action-wise, this film is there. But let's talk about this. Let's talk about even character direction from this perspective. So, uh, Charlize Theron, who plays uh, Imperios... Im- no, Im- Furiosa. No, her name's Furiosa, but it's something... Uh, her Im- title... Imperator? Imperator Furiosa, or something along those lines. Anything you talk about in this film I know, makes the you names sound like a crazy amazing. person. Uh, I, now, what I, when I first saw it, within the first five minutes that you sort of see her on screen, the last big thing I think I remember seeing her in was Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, she's doing the same character in Prometheus. Like, yeah, yeah, she was a really similar but, character. But here's where I think Miller's uh, directing really kind of shines through because it kind of is a similar character, but you get to like... You understand her stakes right you away. You understand Furiosa's stakes right away and you understand, and just the way that he kind of gets this character to really sort of not sing literally, but sing figuratively on screen. Like you really start to feel for her and actually make her into a a three dimensional real feeling person. Um, It's kind of amazing actually how he does that. Cause you, you know, like I guess because of the way he builds up the world, you understand exactly why she has, well, are we getting into spoilers right now? Or, um, or? Look, let's, let's, let's hold off on spoilers. Well, right. it's the first five minutes of the film. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, you can give it. Okay, so she she is rescuing the breeders. That's also know? in the trailer. It's, so. a, it's also Anything in the, the trailer is fair game. Yeah, yeah. So she's rescuing the breeders uh, from uh, the, uh, no, what is his name? The Imperator. Uh, 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 it, it, oh, God. Um, it's coming off the tip of my tongue. Don't uh, tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> Uh, uh, Immortus Joe. Bam. Immortus Immorta Joe, right? Immortus. Immortus. Like immortal, but Immortus Joe. Uh, Immortan, actually. Immortan, Immortan is it? Joe. Oh, yeah. Immortan Joe. Yeah. Well, she's rescuing the breeders from Immortan Joe right away. And it's amazing because you could make the argument like you're basically projecting a stereotype onto her because she's a woman. She has to be rescuing these women because, you know, it, it makes sense that she's on their side and there's no other ulterior motive. But it's actually more than that because we understand the the opening of the film really sets up the parameters of this world, which is that Immortan Joe is really a dictator and a tyrant in a world that is post-apocalyptic and, you know, um, dictatorial right away so that her rescue is completely understandable right away. You know, we understand it. And then moreover, we understand Max right away. Right. We get Max. Even if you haven't seen those previous films, without saying a word, we know Max's story. We know why he would like either help or not help, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Furioso. You know, you understand where he is in this world and what he what he's responding to. And it's just such great storytelling, you know? It is, and it's and done in a very minimalist way. Yeah. The, um, I really like, I mean, it, again, it, the, mm. the characters, it, I think the direction really shines through not only in world building, but in the characters. Like, if you look at uh, Immortan Joe himself, who actually, surprisingly, is uh, this guy, Hugh, I'm going to butcher this, Hugh K's Burn, yeah. who was a villain in the other previous Mad Max movies. Yeah, and, and so isn't that, that's a carryover, right? Like, he's the same character, or? They haven't said. Right. So I don't know. 
know. Um, but uh, he was great, and he was behind a mask the entire time, and he's like 60-something years old. He's 70 years. He's old. Yeah. Oh, do you know the DP of this film had his 70th birthday while on set? So this is literally <laughs> like old man filmmaking parade and it's it's so it how could how could something you know what i'm not even surprised because it's just it's it's just not the norm but it makes so much sense you know and i guess the interesting thing is is look i love peter jackson i think you know from new zealand oh yeah oh, do you love peter jackson you, you have to you have to like bow down to the guy you know especially if you come from my country mm -hmm. um but mm -hmm. in recent years you could argue that the passion of Peter Jackson seems to have fallen out of his movies. I will give Peter Jackson this. Obviously, The Lord of the Rings is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think Peter Jackson has managed to pull off what every other niche filmmaker that big Hollywood swallowed up has not been able to do. And I thought Joss Whedon was going to be able to do it, and he just couldn't do it. Peter Jackson has hung in the Hollywood machine for six full films. Yeah. And it has not destroyed his soul. I, I would argue the films have gotten Oh no, they've gotten worse. No, yeah. don't, not, and, and they seem to have left survived. Less but he's survived it. Yeah. Everyone else has left. And Peter Jackson's been like, no, I'm gonna see this through. So I respect yeah. that. I respect that. But you know, there's a certain passion and you know, there's a there's a charge in this movie. You know, you can feel this oh, movie. Miller wants this movie made. Like yeah, that's yeah. why it exists. And you can feel the the kind of energy pulsating at the edges of the frame of this movie. It's very rare to have this sort of like a legacy franchise like this or a reboot mm. or a remake. And this is technically a sequel mm. uh, kind of come up for one of these franchises from the a original guy and B have him be super passionate about it. So like, oh, it's, and, and, and like, you know, like the amount of time that this film took to make, you know, like yeah. he, he was in development for like 15 years. Yeah. At one point, Mel Gibson was going to be in it, which is insane. You know what? I kind of think, Mel Gibson might have been an interesting. It would have been an interesting addition to have Mel Gibson in there, yeah. as as again as like a either as a revival, but also as a as a it. better callback to to the original franchise. Because you could you could you know like, like we'll probably get let's get into maybe some of the negative things. You could argue that one of the negative things about this film is it doesn't necessarily need to be a Mad Max film. Like you could just call it Fury Road, and. And never refer to Matt. You know, like it's just a guy named Max. I disagree. Really? You think it's because Mad Max? Okay, so when Mad Max came out, I forget the year, but when Mad Max came out, it made up a genre. It yeah. made up the post apocalyptic. I'm going to go sort of a niche. Yeah. Like B movies had been doing sort of post apocalyptic stuff, but none of them had actually hit before Mad Max. Like really become a cultural phenomenon. Well, before there was Mad films Max. like Death Race and things like that. But as well. that's not that's. Not to, I wouldn't put Death Race on the same level as Mad Max. No. Death Race is a fantastic sort of B movie Warriors. that we know about yeah, it. Yeah. But like, this is post-apocalyptic automotive warfare. Is is kind <laughs> of the weird. But like, so so Mad Max built a genre that everyone when Mad Max came out, like the next year, everyone made their post-apocalyptic war car, almost Cherry car vehicles, sort Cherry of two thousand. Oh like that. God, Cherry two thousand. Yeah. Um. So like <laughs> that really. It set the bar, and to, I mean, it's gone so far to the point where my, one of my favorite video games of all time, a series Fallout, right? Fallout Three is so Mad Max, and all the Fallout's and really Badlands as well. Badly, yeah. yeah. Uh, or you mean Borderlands? Oh, Borderlands. Borderlands. Yeah, yeah. Borderlands is like Mad Max yeah. on fucking crystal meth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I love these games, but like, the, they set up the same sort of world, and there's a bunch of Easter eggs for Mad Max in both, but. It it made this genre. Yeah, it really. What's did. What's really interesting about that as well is is like there's there's no like would you say there's like a a demand for this genre? Like, is there like no? There's no there's no like like there's no Mad Max toys that are people are like manufacturing no to one, say, oh man, I really got to get the another. No Mad one Max. other than Tom Ham again, my buddy <laughs> was clamoring for a new. Mad I wasn't. Max. I certainly wasn't. Nope. And there's no like video game tie-ins nope. or anything that was like, oh man, we got to get a movie. And that's out. why it feels fresh on the product on the on the publicity side. I think that's why it feels fresh. Yeah. Now, um. I want to kind of so let's talk real quick about sort of opening weekend. So it's been a week since the film has come out, and we saw it on that opening. We weekend. saw it on the opening weekend because yep. that's important. Um, if you want to see these sort of movies made, you you vote with your wallet. Um, and then we just saw it tonight, just as a refresher. I, I, you know, and and we went with two people who hadn't seen it. And the thing was, uh, you know, just very briefly, the reason there's very few films that I got out of that I walk out of that I go. You know, I kind of do want to see that again, mm -hmm. and and you know, like I think I would enjoy going 
on that ride one more time. Right. You know, most of the times, I'm, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron, I hate to say it, really just like washed over me. I pretty much forgot it the second I walked out of it. I wouldn't like really Boo. seek it out. You know, like most of the Marvel films kind of just wash over me. That's you. Yeah, they do. You know, like, whereas this one, I was kind of like, you know, I kind of want to see this again. Yeah. I really, you know, and I want to see it with people who haven't seen it. Right. I might see it a third time. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I, I will say this for Avengers. I liked it better the second time than the first time, right. but that's neither here nor there. I, and just by the by, I didn't hate. Uh, I know Age of Ultron. I kind of like it. And we could talk about that, but there's multiple podcasts about Age of Ultron. There's no podcast about Mad Max Fury Road. Wow. There's 13,000 Pitch Perfect 2 podcasts, <laughs> but there are no podcasts about Mad Max Fury Road. Listen, I think the film's not, it's not, listen, it's not a wash, right? And this film feels like. No, it's going to make its money. You know, and here's the, here's one thing that I always worry about. If this film was an absolute huge smash success, like. You know, and it is doing mm -hmm. fairly well, given that there's no, like, you know, no genre right. demand for it and that sort of thing. It's like, the thing that always worries me, and I think the thing that makes some films seem bad is the, is the, like, oh, man, that was a smash hit. We got to go back in there and, like, you know, like, pull that world together again. Like the Matrix sequels. Right. You know, like, God. like, I mean, arguably the Star Wars prequels, you know, like. Arguably. Like, Star Wars in general. Yeah, Star Wars in general. I would, look, at, for me at this point, the Marvel Universe is in that zone. You know, like, I think what started out as a, like a strong world-building thing is now becoming more of a, we just got to keep pressing these out. You well, know, like, the only difference between the Marvel Universe and, say, the Star Wars Universe is Marvel is taking its canon and making its canon and doing tweaks where it needs to. Yeah. Star Wars, in an example, like, now that it's over to Abrams, Star Wars has thrown out all of its post-movie canon and is remaking it, is yeah. doing it again, which is fine, and it's their prerogative and whatever. And I know tons of people are excited to see old Harrison Ford and a guy in a Chewbacca suit uh, come out and say they're home. I don't, I mean, don't well, get here, me wrong. I, I really love, I really love the Star Wars films in general, and I grew up with them, and yeah. I cherish the originals. Uh, but, like, I also, and I love the world, and I read the books even, but now yeah. that's all trashed. That's not real <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I forget where I was going with that. Well, you well, 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 I was just going to jump in there and say like, but after seeing Fury Road, right? would you be like, are you kind of still, you, you kind of know that Star Wars, even under J.J. Abrams, who's great, is not going to be as much of a, like a, a shot of adrenaline to, you know, straight oh, to your veins. Absolutely. Like, like Fury Road was. I know exactly how the Star Wars, and, and this is not me being like, I know so much about movies. Like, if you watch J.J. Abrams' films and his career, you know exactly the type of movie you're going to get from Star Wars. Are you going to enjoy it? Hell of a lot more than a Lucasfilm. Yeah, you absolutely will enjoy it. But you can, it's also going to be sort of paint by numbers and is going to be sort of a weird little, and I know this is weird, but a weird little mystery box twist in there somewhere. And that's going to be that. Like, something that I really liked about um, you know, the first Avengers is mm -hmm. it, the Whedon threw me for the loop in there because I love his writing style and everything. And that really made me go. And like, I, I knew the thing about Joss Whedon is I kind of know what to expect every time, but he still surprises me. J.J. Abrams, after watching two or three of his films, has never surprised me, even though his whole thing is about surprise. Right. This film, Fury Road, is so... Ah, it's so out there and so surprising to come out of sort of nowhere. I mean, nowhere for us. Yeah. Uh, it's super refreshing. Like, it is. It's great. And like, you know, maybe we should pull back the hyperbole a little bit. It's not like it's, you know, changing the game. I just think it's like, I think in the world that we live in where action films are so much about commodification, mm -hmm. you know, so much about the ancillary marketing around the film, the toys, the lunchboxes, the, you know, like the Batmans, the, the, the Marvel, the yeah. DCs, you know, the, the Star Wars, everything we see, you know, the Jurassic Parks even, you yeah. know, like everything is so about commodification. It feels like the fact that Mad Max doesn't feel like any of that. Right. Even though, even though. I would buy the shit out of some of these toys. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd buy the war, the war machine. What was yeah. it? War, uh, the war rig. Yeah, I'd buy. I, you know, but 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 it just it doesn't feel like that was their goal to no. like create ancillary no. marketing, you know, like or anything like that. Even though I, you know, if I was a marketing executive right now, I'd be like, hey, what the, 
What uh, right? They're going to try to bite off a piece. Which, which Burger King, you know, which, which right. fast food restaurant is going to tie well, in with us? So let's talk about box office gross. Now it's not doing great, but it's not doing poor. I think it's estimated by the end of this weekend to have made back its budget of a hundred and. One hundred fifty million dollars, which is a big movie. Yeah, that's a big movie. Um, but it made what f- around forty mil US, forty four million in the first week. Okay, and then what? What about international? It was like sixty something. Yeah, I'm not exactly. So sh- worldwide, it made a hundred in the first week, which means it's put on point to actually make its money back, which is great. Yeah, and I think weirdly enough, and and I know there was a big push for people who like action movies and people who like original sort of movies in themselves to go see it opening weekend because I know there's a huge thing about movies studios really only giving a shit about that opening weekend you can look at the dreads and you can look at other films like this that are fantastic and make a ton of money on dvd and blu-ray and downloads but that's not what people are looking at because it takes too long to get their return um the people in charge of of movies that is right and you know like here's an example is that mad max fury road uh according to box office mojo in its first couple of weeks Mm -hmm. has made 63 million dollars whereas by the same time, uh, in the same period, 300 Rise of an Empire had made $106 million. Holy crap. So, you know, for a budget of $150 million, like, you know, like that might not look that great. Although their opening weekends were pretty similar. Their total gross uh, was pretty uh, yeah. very different. Yeah. So I just think it's been so long since a Mad Max movie hit. Like, first of all, not many people, I mean, younger, if you go five years younger than us, even. And yeah. we're in our early 30s, yeah. or early to mid 30s. Yeah. Uh, you would end up getting people who have no effing clue who the hell Mad Max is. And so no. it's, it looks yeah. like a new property. Now, yeah. granted, it looks cool. Yeah. But, you know. Uh, and then you get like, I mean, what did Pitch Perfect 2 make? Do you know? Oh, Pitch Perfect, Pitch Perfect 2, I can pull it, it up. It can pull right it up. Yeah. But it made probably quadruple what Mad Max did. Yeah. Um, and that's just audiences and whatever. And that's that's fine. And there's room for both. Um, I just think it's, an, I like I, I like sort of the push to try to have everyone see Mad Max opening weekend to try to, again, vote with your wallet. Yeah. Um. So... What do you so we 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 talked about George Miller a little bit. Is there anything else about the directing style that we didn't touch on, or should you want to kind of move on from that? We could talk about the, I mean, the whole theory. Yeah, look, this this is also surprisingly for a film that's so hyper stylized mm-hmm. and so uh, over the top in terms of its world building that in a in in a similar way, really oddly, is somewhat understated. You know, like like it it doesn't. He's not like showing off. Hey, I'm the director. He's right. just like really throwing his story at the audience with every tool in his arsenal, you know. But he's not like, you know, like um, James Cameron in Terminator Two. You mm-hmm. could argue that the the liquid metal regeneration and the way he kind of like developed that was a little bit look what I can do kind of thing, you know. Whereas yeah. this just doesn't feel like right. you know, like it has this sort of understated quality to it. So I, I mean, oh, uh, oh, well, arguably the 3d conversion kind of like plays up the more, you know, yeah. to, the, to, you know, uh, show off moments. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, side note about the liquid metal thing. Uh, how is it that in the Terminator Genesis trailer, the T 1000 liquid metal looks worse than the 1991 T 1000 liquid metal. I, I, unfortunately I cannot comment because I do not watch the trailer. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. Um, it's just something I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, he's definitely not showing off. And I think it, it is weird. Him not showing off shows. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like it's just, you can tell this is a guy who has lived, breathed and, and hopefully won't soon die from like <laughs> in this world. Like, do you know what I mean? Like he loves this place and he loves that he's built it and he loves that he's continuing to do it. And that shines through. And, you know, and for a world that is so outrageous and big and bold, mm-hmm. it still feels very grounded, you know, like it doesn't feel like the Hobbit or here's, <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah. Nothing in the film takes you so far out of the belief that it could happen. And yeah. that's crazy to say, especially after you've seen it. But like, again, I'm going to go back to Avengers, a different movie, and I love it for different reasons. Yeah, I don't believe that in our time period, there can be an Iron Man. I understand that. It makes me sad, but I understand <laughs> it. In this film, I could see the world going to shit and weird fucking cults popping up and society rebuilding itself on this twisted image and everything going to hell. Like I can see that. And just because, um, Empyrean Joe and, uh, his war boys worship 
uh, cars and gasoline and nitro and chrome and and mix it with with Viking iconography and religious practices. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense to me because you're going to take every, if if the world ends, people are just going to start taking little bits of information that they remember or that they can find in scraps of books or data or whatever, and they're going to rebuild religion and they're going to rebuild all this shit, and people are going to come in our eyes looking at it right now nuts yeah there's a scene in the movie where a group of characters and again i'm not going to spoil anything there's a group of characters that are sitting and looking up at the sky and they see a satellite they're like oh that's called a satellite like and Mm -hmm. like that's where they used to beam shows to everybody another character goes oh i before the world ended everyone had a show yeah that's and it's like that's what people would think if they if they had a stitch of looking back at us. Well, I guess, you know, the thing is, is that Miller is so in touch. It, it, he's so, like, pointed with his arguments here. You know, like, there, there's certainly a sense that the political allegory in this film right. is so on point. You know, like, I could understand a society that loves war mm-hmm. in this way. Like, like... Oddly, this film reminded me of Apocalypse Now and the war, you know, the, this idea of like that, fi- yeah. fetishizing war, which is what happens to um, um, Nicholas Van, uh, Nicholas Holt's character, mm-hmm. uh, Nux. You know, he's a guy, he, he's like a soldier in the Vietnam War, war who, yeah. like, a war boy who realize, you know, who comes to realize that that maybe the the idea of war that he's been worshiping his entire life isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be. Right. And I, you know, and that reminds me of like the entire journey of Apocalypse Now. You know, I can like see that. And that's what's cool about this film, like, is that the film kind of takes a real world political allegory and plays it out in this completely fictionalized world in a way that makes sense. Like, and and I don't like I guess you could make the argument that the Star Wars prequels tried to do political allegory, you know, the way shipping, you know, taxation and all that sort of jazz. Because what gets, <laughs> hey, audience, what gets your engine running more than deep political space intrigue and taxation? Hey, you could argue Game of Thrones. Listen, really... I would go, yeah, but there's beheading and sex in that. <laughs> uh, I would say if you want your space politics, you don't go to Star Wars, you go to Star Trek. Yeah, but but if you want your war politics and and like... You the, still go to Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your your your, uh, your uh, allegory about the way war machines work and the way that we enlist people to go to fight other battles, you you know you can find that all in Mad Max. You know it's funny. I was having, and this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I was having a, a conversation over the holidays with my family about indoctrination, mm. uh, and it was kind of interesting because the 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 term the 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 story or the the practice that's the word I'm looking for of the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. It's, I mean, and they're a like, guy who doesn't come from, and this I go and I go to my parents. I'm like, well, you know, that's because they were talking. I forget how we came up with it, but it was like children, soldiers or whatever. Yeah. And then it was like, well, you know, it's not as hardcore, but the Pledge of Allegiance is a form of indoctrination. And my parents are like, no. <laughs> and I was like, yes, you're literally having a child repeat over and over and over again that their country is the most important thing to them. Yeah. And eventually the idea about that is to make you believe it. That's why it exists. Otherwise, why are we doing it? And I'm not saying it's, it's bad or wrong in certain cases like i'm i I said the pledge of allegiance nearly but then like at around eighth or ninth grade i just kind of stopped yeah uh not everyone does and not everyone should i'm just saying it it, indoctrination is indoctrination and in this film there were they call them war pups the little kids that kind of ran the machines until they were old enough to go out in the waste and fight um it's like they're they're indoctrinated into this this crazy world but i guarantee you for for those characters it doesn't feel crazy no, no, like not that's at all. just the world, yeah. and they're lucky to be there. They're lucky to be war pups and war boys because everyone else who's scrounging for water and and everything at the ground level, it's called the Citadel, where uh, Empyrean Joe and his war boys sort of live. It's basically a giant mesa top where all the crops and things uh, grow on the top, and there's a, a giant surplus of underground water that Empyrean Joe controls and gives to the plebes at, at a very minimal way to keep them sort of placated. Um, I mean, any anytime you talk about anything in this film, you sound like a crazy person, right? But if you take that example, it's it's it kind of works in an allegory for the way resources are distributed down, yeah, depending yeah. on where you are in the world. But also, like your idea about indoctrination as well. It's like the the thing that this film really gets uh, that gets into is is the idea that dying for warfare 
is like noble and you know you need to do it like like there's everyone's lining up to do, to, yeah. to die and know? there's and there's practice to it i don't want to give it away cuz it's one of the, one of my favorite moments of the film but like when Witness a warboy is yeah. about to go and do his thing something happens they say a thing and they all do the same thing and then all the people that are watching him all do this sort of symbol with their hands like and it's, it's a very, heroic moment for them yeah and yeah. like they believe that they're going to meet their forefathers of war in valhalla which again is a very Viking Norse sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, in a way, Thor could be involved. Oh, here. <laughs> no, uh, let's, let's not get into anyway. uh, the dark world. Uh, <laughs> um, ooh, good, dark. good time. Um, so, so is this sort of you're talking about? Uh, we have we have notes, ladies and gentlemen. That's oh, what we're wow. referencing. Uh, so you have in here who killed the world? Well, I just thought th- there's an interesting theory that popped up and read it, and it's kind of like. You know, like maybe it just goes further into like how much, how how much this film has repeatability built into it. You know, like like there, and this is you know the funny thing is I'm not a big fan of Star Wars. Like I'm I'm just I'm just it's not a thing that I love. But I I decided over the Christmas holidays to rewatch Star Wars. Okay, and and I watched the first one and I was just you know while I'm not in love with that franchise, mm-hmm. I when I watched that first one I was kind of blown away by like how big a world Lucas built into that first film yep. and and how much he doesn't explain in that first film. Yep. And you just go, wow, there's this whole universe out there that he's really thought about. It's the same thing with this movie. Yeah, and it's the same thing with this movie. It's this idea that, you know, like there are factions and clans in this wasteland that seem to have different- Gas Town and the Bullet Farm yeah, are the Gastown, two we deal with. Gas Town, the Bullet Farm, and like you can see like Gas Town- is sort of an accounting, you know, like he 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 has an accountability of like the leader uh, of Gas Town yeah. seems like a very sort of poli- uh, politician esque person, yeah, where yeah. Imperian Joe is super warlike, and Bullet Town, the yeah. dead guy, is just war, 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 war. Yeah, so there's this like this whole universe, and like you could see sequels or whatever spinning out into each of those universes, right? Although- and even as again, going back to Miller's just so I don't want to carp on this too much, but going back to his world building uh, prowess, there's a part where they're driving through like a sort of like slightly moist desert in a sense. I know it sounds weird, but like it's almost like muddy or whatnot. Yeah, it and, really reminds me of the sequel to uh, Wizard of Oz. The right. To Oz, oh, yeah. With the, the, with the broken wheelers. Brick road wheelers. Yeah. 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 Uh, they're cutting pavement. Um, but the. Uh, there are these sort of like they're walking through and they all look out the window of this war rig that they're in. And there are these people sort of going through these marshlands on these stilts in these in these weird sort of like crawly poses, like just that must be scavenging. And they never explain it. They never talk about it. And it's like, oh, that's another thing that's here. Star Wars does a lot of that in the same vein with the different planets, the different races that sort of always calls back to. And again, you could go. I mean, Lucas did an amazing thing because he he did did that along with merchandising. Yeah. But. He's just a good world builder, just like Miller is a good world builder, and you don't need a crazy, complicated story to make it a great world to tell any story in. Well, I feel like, you know, the thing is, is like, uh, there is world to be tapped underneath the action that's happening here. And, you know, right. the, re- the reason I, I bring up who killed the world is that's a phrase that's repeated, yes. you know, throughout the uh, um, you know throughout the film, and and it's obviously implied that these different factions are the ones that killed the world. And, you know, like... See, I didn't take it that way. Oh, really? And and there's an interesting theory floating around on Reddit that I read, you know, which is about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and how each of these factions represent one of the four horsemen. And the fourth horseman... This is, you know, again, one theory on right. Reddit. But it, it has got an interesting... Wait, who's the fourth one? Max himself. Uh, and Max is the... You know, because the fourth horseman was death. And, right. And and Max is surrounded by death and he, you know, um helps create, you know, death helps create re- rebirth in the world. And I think it's look, I don't I don't hold much yeah. water in that Who's theory. pestilence? That's but, what I want to know. Uh the the idea is imper- imperator uh He's pestilence? Yeah, he's you know, cuz they're all diseased. You know, yeah. like they all have cancers of the But you, everyone does in that movie. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I mean, look, you could read it any which sure. way. But the thing is, is that the text is so open, you could kind of, mm-hmm. there's enough material. You here could put pull. your glue in there. Yeah, and there's enough, and, and this is why the film is like, you know, like most of the time, you know, like, uh, for example, uh, there's a film, Uncle Bomney, who can see his past lives. Uh, 
uh, a Thai a Thai film that won you know Khan a few years ago. Okay, and that's a film that has like immense repeat viewing because it's so mysterious and such a right. you know such a strange film or you know like a Michael Haneke film, Funny Games or something like that, sure. which is so open to interpretation. It's odd. It is odd to me that a big hundred and fifty million dollar <laughs> film, you know has this kind of open text that right. you could really like pour into. Of course, at the back of it, it has got a traditional Joseph Campbell style hero's journey. And it does that very, very well. Right. But the hero's journey in this film, and now this is a perfect transition, yeah. is not Max's. I mean, look, Max no. has, has no. a hero's journey in this film. No, he does not. Because the hero's journey in my opinion, and sort of what I believe the definition of it is, is something that changes you to towards the end to sort of be... He changes very early in this film, yeah. And I he don't think he changes at all. Well, he... Uh, we, we should probably... This is the part where we're going to talk about spoilers. Yeah, we should probably like... So to... if you don't want to hear about spoilers, thanks for listening to Matt and Shahir talk about Mad Max Fury Road and the only Mad Max Fury Road podcast available. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, if you haven't figured out that's a joke yet, <laughs> uh, then there's another issue all in itself. Um, we are going to now talk about spoilers. So if you're leaving now, thanks for listening, and we appreciate it. If you are still on board, well, welcome. <laughs> um, Whoa, the after party. So <laughs> Hello. Hey. Um, uh, <laughs> pants optional. <laughs> um, so here is the deal with that. So Ma Max's journey is him sort of, uh, what's the word? He's uh, tortured by his past, uh, uh, people he let down and die, his family and his friends. Uh, and then he slowly sort of starts to become less crazy. There's actually a line from from the which this is actually something that I think fell flat in the film is the girls like I thought you weren't crazy anymore near the end even when he has a crazy plan at the end right yeah they he, I never felt like he was never not crazy and I feel like they were trying to make it so like oh being around these women and these people that he's helping is helping him I never got that feeling I feel like he's he's the same person that that went into that movie that came out of that movie. I think there's an in, there's an inevitability about his character arc in this film which is that he's entirely self-sustaining throughout the beginning of the film. He's a guy who is used to being alone, who wants to be alone, mm -hmm. who does not, you know, like he's willing to abandon these women, you know, the first chance he gets. He in fact he does. Um but he's forced to like reconsider that role as the movie progresses and he and he and he becomes the hero, you know, he, he goes back to save these women on, uh, you know, later on in the film. But, but to the film's credit, the, f wait, wait, hold on. When does he ever go back and, and save them when he doesn't have to, uh, the, the sand, uh, when, oh, when, they, when, when he goes and turns them around. Yeah. When he goes and turns them around. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'll give you that. Um, and also he, he goes, uh, he drive he rides back, uh, towards the warmonger, uh, to and, Bullet Town's leader, yeah. Yeah, and destroys him and then comes Which, back. Can we talk about that real quick for a second? So there's a scene in the film, uh, so and you would badass. have seen it right now. It's badass, but at the same time, it kind of bothered me, and I don't know why it bothered me. So Max gets, he leaves, he tells the girls to move ahead, and if he's not back soon, then to leave without him, and he walks back towards the leader of Bullet Town, who has been <laughs> blinded, is just shooting blindly into the night. And we have no idea them. what he did. And we have no idea what he did, so they go forward, then you see a big explosion, then you see a figure walk out, and they pull guns and it's Max and he's covered in blood and has all the bullet town guys weapons. So that's it's it, badass. It's but badass like, in every other film. I feel like it wouldn't work in this movie because the whole thing is wall to wall action. I feel like show it, not showing some action works. Yeah. But that would have been Max's only sort of solo show. Yeah. And, and I, and arguably in, you could make the argument that, that it would be good to show how capable Max is, but we've already seen, He's a capable guy. We've kind of seen more that he's lucky. He's lucky. I don't know. Again, here's the thing. Upon second viewing of the film, it bothered me. The first time, I didn't give a shit because yeah. I was always like, oh, man, this is it, it cool. doesn't. It doesn't come off as like, oh, my God, that guy's so badass, which is maybe what the intention was. It just comes off as I like. I feel like it comes off as they left on the cutting room floor. Really? No, I think I think it was supposed it, it you know like okay so there's a great story about the way this film was actually written which was that there was no script to begin with but they storyboarded the whole film something like 3000 drawings wow. as a comic book. 
mm-hmm. you know, and and that was the script to begin with was a comic book, and then they wrote dialogue to kind of fit into that, and then they wrote a script based off of okay. that. Okay, and I can see that that moment that feels such very a, comic. Book-y. It's such a great comic book moment, you know, like he guy walks off yeah. in one frame, comes back the next yeah. frame, and like there's a big explosion behind him. Yep. You know, and cool you guys know, don't look at explosions. Yeah, you don't know exactly what he's done, but you know, like, oh my god, yeah. this guy's bad. And everyone looks at him different after that moment as well, right? You know, which is a it's a cool comic book moment. Yeah, but uh, it also solidifies for me the fact that Max really isn't the main character in his own movie. I think there's there's yeah there's definitely an art. I I think he's the least interesting character, and like everyone's going through major changes in this film. I, I could argue Furioso doesn't really go through a major change. She just can. She just goes through the wormhole of 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 uh, of being beaten down and comes out the other side. Right. Of it, you know, Knox probably goes. The War Boy comes back. Uh, yeah, the Knox, reformed War Boy comes back and is the is the most changed. I feel. Yeah. Going from sort of religious zealot to sort of free thinking man on his own. But Furioso certainly Furiosa. Uh, Furiosa is certainly probably one of the most compelling characters, and she has right. one of the most noble arcs. And you kind of, you know, like there's a moment where you're really rooting for. I, you know, I I felt like I welled up a little bit when when you know there was a potential for her to like lose her life. Yeah, and, and you could see that she wasn't going to go down without a fight. And you know, that's a that's a noble. Um, trait to have in a in a in your central character mm-hmm. as well, and it's great. Um, it really works. It really really works. Yeah, you kind of see it. every character. You know what's interesting? Uh, every character in this movie breaks. So if you want to go down the list, Max is sort of already broken. He starts broken and sort of fixes yeah. himself a little bit. The moment when uh, when Furiosa realizes that the green place doesn't exist, she breaks. Oh, that's such a great moment. It's a great. Me. Uh, when when uh, Nux uh, basically sees his god, sees Imperian Joe, see him fuck up, he breaks. When when Imperian Joe sees uh, the, his Rose wife, um, uh, what's her name? Rose I got it right here. Yeah. The splendid Agrid, Rosie, Rosie Hunting hey, Wheatley, yeah. Whiteley. Uh, when he sees her, you know, bite the dust and her her his unborn son, he breaks. Yeah. Uh, even even you want his his son his son uh uh Mortis Erect what's his name uh Mortis Erectus no Erectus Erectus oh boy uh, <laughs> the giant dude he yeah. breaks when he finds out he had a baby brother that didn't make it um uh even even the different wives break for different reasons that they're yeah. rescuing throughout this film one wants to go back and she's sort of broken she's like she'll he'll take us back like we need to go back one you know it just uh, one gets recaptured like it's all over the damn place like every character in this film goes through a life-altering moment where they're like fuck everything i thought was wrong or now it doesn't work i i really the, you know the other cool thing that he manages to do is like characters that we're introduced to for the first time we have no backstory for these characters mm-hmm. they they each get a moment to shine you know yeah. like like there are about five or six players in this film that each get their moment and it's a little moment but it's enough to like really make us believe yeah. that person exists. The know? only person that doesn't change is uh, the Doof Warrior, who is the guy strapped to the big speaker mobile <laughs> uh, with the fire guitar. Although there was an article this week where the actor who played him gave his entire backstory and like he wrote a backstory for, good. you know, I think it's on Slash Film. It's good. You should check that out because yeah. he was one of my favorite moments of the film. And that, you know what I really liked? Uh, this is just sort of a side tangent me bit, but uh, before we get into sort of wrapping it up, the, uh, Doof, the, the Doof Warrior is such a cool concept and something I feel like Imperian Joe would actually have in this world. Cause like wh- armies in the past have all had heralds or people like w- bannermen or, or flute oh. or trumpet players or this anything. Is, this is it's the, the same thing. This is the flight of the Valkyries. Imperian <laughs> Joe wants you to know he's coming. Yeah. So what better way than a giant rig with speakers and drummers and a guy strapped to it with bungee cords playing a flaming guitar. This is, this is the, you know, what, uh, uh, Rob, but Duval in Apocalypse Now did mm-hmm. with the Flight of the Valkyries. Yes, you but know. this time, uh, yeah. It, but uh, we, I, I t- we talked about this before. But I, what I absolutely loved was like whenever there was a sweeping shot of like the different armies moving in different ways. Like yeah, you whenever would, you saw uh, uh, the Doof Warriors chariot sort of vehicle thing, it would always like his music would get louder mm-hmm. and then trail away. And when they stopped, when there was an explosion and they all had to stop, like his song slowed down yeah. and then he stops playing. But whenever he drives, he starts playing and he plays at the pace that they're driving. You know and. 
I, I, I think in older w- uh, warfare, they would have that person, mm-hmm. you know, like they would have marching bands. It would be amazing today. Holy, really. it's just dubstep. Oh, like imagine if you took like a DJ it's and a Michael rapper. Bay transformer <laughs> robot farts throughout yeah, yeah. the. It's Kanye West in the front. Yeah, Kanye West at the front and like uh, Skrillex at the back. <laughs> wow, we yeah. just we just reinvented warfare. Yeah, I think, but I, um, but no, uh, going back to uh, Imperiosa, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the sort of the ramblings that the internet and people were doing. Well, uh, Oh, unless you want to talk about something else. No, no, no. This is, I mean, this is like the idea, this, this, this notion of, uh, of, uh, warped masculinity in Mad Max or, of, you know, like this idea that Overt Mad Max is feminist, feminist. propaganda, propaganda. Well, see, here's, here's, I don't think it's feminist propaganda. I think, uh, there's a couple different things going back to who, who, uh, broke the world. What was it? Yeah, who killed the who world? Who killed the world? Yeah. I took that as the women we're talking about how men killed the world. Yeah. And I have no problem with that. <laughs> I, I don't think you could argue that that isn't true. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, that's sort of what I hearken to. And that's where I think people sort of get this idea that it's an inherently feminist film. I don't think it is. I think many of the heroes are women and only a few of them are men. But, I, you know, like the the thing, like when, when we saw the breeding wives mm-hmm. for the first time, like in the first screening we saw, I, I did kind of cringe a little bit and I did kind of like go, oh boy, you know, like. What, the sexy ones? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, is this film really going to do this? You know, like, but then there's a, there's a sense that he, you know, like Miller isn't saying, isn't lingering on it in the way that like. Michael Bay, might. Oh you know? my God! And 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 a really good example of that is the fact that Rosie Huntington Wheatley, yep. it was, was in a Michael Bay film, was in Transformers Three, and she was just there to be stared at. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, you know, like I got to be honest with you, I was not a, a I'm not a fan of that film, and I yeah. was not a fan of her in that film because I was like, and you know, not a fan of Michael Bay's work in that film. What are you I, a fan of? Well, I don't know, <laughs> but it was like it was like everything about her characterization in that film was so right. leery and so like let's stare at her kind of thing. Yeah. Where and she's in this film like half naked most of the time, but it doesn't feel that kind of like we're leering at her. Yeah. If we feel like oh, this is the world that she lives in, mm-hmm. and she's trying to break free from it. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, she she acts in this film. <laughs> yeah, she acts. I mean, uh, I don't think she does like it delivers a huge no. performance, but I think that the writing is so on her side Look, and it feels like this is the way she would be treated in that world. The only way that this is a feminist film with a feminist propaganda mm. is if the people behind it believe that women should be treated equally as men. Which so, so in that case <laughs> Yeah, okay, it's a feminist film. I get really mad with this whole, everyone's anti We're talking about feminism right here, right? Instead right. of like, you know, like feminist theory and film, which is that the, feminist, the, the, the true roots of feminism isn't like, isn't like, you know, like uh, aggressive female power. It's more like, let's, you know, women should be equal. Right. You know, what's wrong with that? Yeah. So, I mean, here, listen, guys, I know you signed up for two dudes <laughs> to talk to you about feminism and what they think about it. Um, so qualified but, but you know what, this. though? And I mean, it, it, Whatever. I'm not going to get into sort of feminist theory or my feminist theory or the feminist theory. Uh, but anyone can talk about feminism. Anyone can talk about talk about a uh, any of this shit. So mm. it's fine. Um, but I don't think this film is overtly feminist. I think it just happens that there's different people in the film that some happen to be heroes, some happen to be villains. And now it, it just sort of this time it happens to be that the women are in the right. Like and in the you, way you you know and it, Max it, and Nux. You could argue that that action movies are traditionally the domain of male yep uh, male filmmakers. You know, male directors, male writers, male actors, and you know, like the 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 the, the poster child for somewhat subverting that on his head is the guy I mentioned early on, James Cameron mm-hmm. with Aliens and Terminator Two. Right. You know, um, and I think this is not necessarily a feminist film in the way that maybe. You could argue the not the Hurt Locker, but Zero Dark Thirty, right. yeah. maybe is you know for whatever the actually that's a, probably a bad example because the politics of that yeah. film are so murky and muddly. But you know, like this is more akin to what James Cameron did with Terminator Two by right. making Sarah Connor such a prominent figure. And, and you, 
I think you're leaning towards the side that the, that she is, that Furioso is the main character in this film. I and do it, think so, and you know I don't disagree with that. Um, I'm just not I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that the film wants her to be the the main character. I think I think she is, but they need Mad Max to kind of lead us there, which inherently suggests. Of course, that Max, it gets you into the story of it. Yeah, otherwise, and, and I and yeah. I don't know that. You know, this this is, leads back to my earlier discussion. Like, does this need does the film the title of the film need to be Mad Max? And I still think yes, even though he's not the main character. You know, like could it just be a Furioso film? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's the deal. I think, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you can talk about you know feminism in this film or sort of like the the male sort of female versus or whatever dynamic. What it all boils down to for me, honestly is it's super refreshing and cool to see things that I have not seen a lot. And you know what I saw in this movie? 60-year-old women on dirt bikes Holy firing shit. rifles. And that was awesome. So everyone can shut the fuck up yeah. and just sit back and enjoy something that they haven't seen. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, we we forget about that a lot, but like the the final act of this movie is a bunch of septeri- older women. Yeah, sep- uh, the the phrase uh, escapes me, septarian, septigurian. I don't know. Um, I don't know what word you're saying. <laughs> older women, right? Um, who are kicking ass? They're they're, they're fighting twenty something year old war boys. Yeah, they're they're equally a powerful clan, just mm-hmm. as the just as the the warmongering mm-hmm. men. Um, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you could argue men don't come off well in the broader sense, but there are two male figures in this film who seem to understand that people are equal yes. and, and, you know, need to be treated equally. Yes. Um, and, but, and I don't think you could, do, you know, I don't think you could argue against the fact that men are responsible for most of the destruction and warfare in the world. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> you, you, you really can't. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, we have uh, about two or three minutes left on this thing. So, uh, what do you want to use? Want to wrap it up with sort of final thoughts or how do you want to do it? I mean, final thoughts. I look, go see the film. I mean, like, yeah, that's a given. If you haven't gotten that by this point, again, I don't know if English is your first language. Like that, yeah. we we like this film, we, and, and we are not always going to agree. Like this, this is a very rare. I think the reason why I was okay with doing this <laughs> podcast at now one a.m. is the fact that Shahir and I do not agree on films. It just doesn't happen. And I, I I've always respected your mm. opinion on film, yeah, as I respect yours. But yeah. but we don't agree, which is a very rare sort of thing. I, so when we both really enjoyed this film and went to go see it twice together, yeah. uh, I I think that you were says, in for a special film. Yeah, it's it's something. <laughs> it's if if this film can bring us together in that sort of weird film geeky sort of intellectual <laughs> way, then there's something special about it. Um, you should go see it. You should go buy it. You should go. We should see more films that are innovating. Even though this is a sequel to a franchise, We, I really like things that innovate, and I feel like this is something that's very innovative, and it came from someone who is a master of the craft with 70, well, I mean, not 70 years of film experience, but 70 years of life experience. Yeah. Like, in, in this, again, he, he used to be a doctor. Yeah, like He's this a medical doctor. been around. <laughs> So all in all, if you take anything away from this, you should see it. You should see it and and sort of judge it for yourself and and try if if I could just impart what I think people should do with their hard-earned money to go see things, go see stuff that you don't think you would actually enjoy. I was surprised by how many people weren't going to go see this because they're like, ah, Mad Max, I don't know anything about it. Because the action film has a bad reputation this day and age. And I got to admit, I think it's because of the films that you and I disagree about. I don't. I think they're one of, they're off on the fringe, but they're the only ones that are slowly, I mean, still sort of holding up the old world of it. I, I think everything else is sort of bleeding it and and basically sucking it dry on those things. You're like, come on, guys, we can still do these kind of movies. We're talking about Marvel, by the way. <laughs> anyway, neither that's neither here nor there. We've been chewing your ear off about this film for an hour. You should go see it. Support support this kind of stuff, I think, anyway. Um, and then form your own opinion and then do your own podcast so there can be two <laughs> Mad Max podcasts. Only two. That's only two. A- well, not yet. I'm saying the future. The listeners' podcast they do about Mad Max Fury Road will be the second Mad Max Fury Road podcast. And then eventually it'll grow and then there'll be awards for them and then we'll present awards to the best new Mad Max Fury Road podcast. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine a mad a world in which Mad Max is a trilogy, like six films from now? Listen, listen. Back in the day, everyone had a show. <laughs> everyone had a show. And now we do too. And now we do too. <laughs> so I guess uh I guess she was right. In anyway, the- um, thanks for listening. Um Shahir, where can people find you if they want to find more stuff that you do? 
www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. You'll find a portal to my Facebook, my Twitter, my all that stuff in cool. there as well. And I, how convenient, uh, my website is www.matthewkroll.com. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm Skeletor4Prez, the number four Prez. Uh, on Twitter, I think I'm uh, E-M-S, no, Emperor MSK. And uh, you can find me on Facebook, too. I have a bunch of stuff. Also, check out a web series that I'm trying to build up in the world called WDI. That's at www.pw. Yes, that's .pw for the professional web. It's a story reason. Don't ask. Um, Yeah, so come check us out. We'll probably be doing some more of these stuff. Also, uh, samenightmoviereview.com, which is something I run with uh, my friend and movie cohort Stephen Buja, and Shahir has been on that. We should get him in here for these discussions. Uh, Well, next time we will. Uh, This has been the only Mad Max Fury Road podcast. Uh, I am Matthew Kroll and I'm Shahir Dowd and thank you for taking a ride with us see what I did there that was nice uh, it could be better you want to you do an ender no no see <laughs> I win <laughs>